themselves in any of those clips. I remember when I first saw that, I thought, this commercial feels like it's about me. <laughs> We're glad you guys are here today. Come on in. If you're a kid mo, you can leave. Second through fifth graders, if you are a guest, then you're welcome to walk your second through fifth grader back with them. They've got their own opportunity for some small group stuff, some teaching, and uh, some fun stuff that they're going to do. So you're welcome to walk back with them. Uh, We're glad to have you with us today. I just want to remind you again, uh, we're going to the lookouts on the 23rd at 7. So uh, we're not buying your ticket or anything like that because we're pretty cheap, but uh, we hope that you'll come and hang out with us. Uh, It's a good time just to be together as a body of Christ, uh, and I hope that you'll do that with us. All right, we're starting a new series today. It's called Human Nature, and uh, here's what we're doing. I've told you that throughout this year, we're going to be having different short series based on different doctrinal truths, the purpose being that as we grow as Christians, we ought to be growing not only in attendance and activities and serving, but we ought to be growing in an understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower, and what do we really believe? Increasingly, it's important that you and I are able to communicate what we believe. So far this year, what we have looked at are uh, who God is. We've looked at the theology of God. We've also looked at Scripture, the theology of the Bible. What does the Bible mean? Is it important? Can we believe it? And what we've discovered is that more than any other historical figure, more than any other historical document, there's more evidence that the Bible is true than anything that's written in any history book that's taught in any school. So uh, as we're going through this today, what we're going to start is a couple of weeks that we're going to be talking about the doctrine of man. Now, I know that some of you are thrilled like I am. And I know that whoever giggled is not. (laughs) So for some of us who like to read and we're kind of academic, this kind of stuff, we just eat it up. We love it. For others, eh, not so much. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to make it applicable enough and I want to show you what is the broader ideas in the doctrine of man. But what I also want to do is touch on how do we really know what we believe. And the truth is when it comes to people... You and I are very good at analyzing others, not so good at analyzing ourselves, right? Anybody else? Okay, we're going to jump in. We've got several things that we're going to be doing. And if you want to follow along, you can follow along on Uversion. If you have a phone, a tablet, you can pull that up. Uh, If you have not updated your apps in a while, there's a new um, event uh, portion of the Uversion app, and you have to have the newest version of Uversion to access it. So, Hope you'll follow along. You can use that. You can forward it on to other people if you want to. What we're going to begin with today is this basic truth that there is no need so basic for us as understanding who we are and why it is that we do what we do. Carl Jung said that we need more understanding of human nature because the only real danger that exists is man himself. Interestingly enough, the study of people of human nature is very important because of something else that George Santayana said that you may have heard from Winston Churchill when he said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it, though you may have heard it in a little different variation. George Santayana is the first one to have said that. Why is it that history will repeat itself if we're not aware of what we have done already? As much as you and I love to believe that we're unique, 
that we're different and we all have our uniqueness. We all have our different characteristics deep down inside of us. Isn't it true that no matter how far back you go, human nature is still the same, isn't it? We may change a few things. We may change the way we act a little bit, or we may change the way that our behaviors are inflicted upon society, but there's always been struggle. There's always been suffering. There's always been those who have tried to lord over others. There have always been those who have been willing to share love and to give to others. There have been those willing to sacrifice for something greater. There's, there are multiple things built within us that can be found all throughout the timeline of human history. And so understanding who we are at our core is crucial. Now, did you know that scientists, have they've studied everything, have studied what are some basic behaviors that almost all people do? Now, maybe you'll see yourself in some of these and maybe not, but how many, when you know that you're remote controlled, the batteries are about to die and it won't flip channels, you, what do you do with the button? You keep hitting it, you push it harder. Do you realize most people today will push a button harder even though they know the problem is it needs new batteries? Do you do that? Well, I don't ever have low batteries in my remote, right? Some of you are saying that. Also, how many of you talk to yourself? Anybody? Raise your hand. Come on. Put it. I've got to say, uh, I have to take now off my list that people won't admit that they talk to themselves. Most of us will talk to ourselves. In fact, what is true is that you and I have our best conversations when it's just us, right? In fact, when I'm really upset with somebody, I really can chew them out the best when it's just me in the car. Anybody else? You know, you're at conflict, you're struggling. You never lose an argument when it's just you. It's a good thing. All right, how about this? Scientists tell us, That most people, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but most people will look before they flush. Now, I don't know what that says about us. I got to look. Every time you laugh, I have to look and see what Sean's doing. I don't know what that says about us, but most of us will look before we flush. A couple of other things that most of us will do. Oh, I got a snort on that one. That was a good one. <laughs> what? Checking damage. All right. I don't even know what that means. I'm too old to know what that means. All right. What we'll also do is that people in general will all constantly think about death. Now, interestingly, as you get older, you may think about more of it. But all of us think about death. And again, almost all people doubt themselves. It's interesting traits that you and I share. Some are funny, some are not so funny. It's interesting the number of things that you and I will do. And and I often am reminded that when I think I am the only one who does this, I'm not. There are other people who struggle with the same problems. For a lot of us, we deal often in the level of despair Because there are two primary characteristics that we are going to exhibit as people because of our nature. And that is the characteristic of pride where we feel good about ourselves or the feeling of despair because we feel bad about ourselves. Human nature is such an incredible thing that if we're not students of who we are, we are subject to whatever it does to us without the ability to grow or to be more. 
Some of the characteristics that we share are the need to survive, the need to love, also the inability to resist temptation. You put something out there and they say, you know, don't, don't do that, don't touch it. We have to touch it. We have to do it. Also, one thing that we see consistently is that we don't do well with influence and power. Often power corrupts people. Power corrupts nations. Power corrupts cultures. And the truth is that while each of us have these unique qualities, you and I have universal traits that are given to us by our Creator. You remember this from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are, what does that say? Endowed by their Creator. You know, it's just in the recent history of our nation that we haven't believed that God has given us the things that make us who we are. As our culture and our society begins to move more and more away from morality of, of Scripture and the teachings of the church, which is bound to happen, it's happened in every nation before us, there has been a time that we all believe that God gave us what we have so that who we are is a result of the gift of God. Now, if that's true, and if you and I are followers of Jesus, then what we've got to do is go through his word and find out, okay, so what do you say about me and about us? What, what is it about us that makes us who we are? And is it possible that rather than living life just trying to get through, we can actually have lives of purpose that are full and lives that can mean something? We're going to be looking at Genesis for the most part this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. Or if you're on version, you can follow along there. But let's look at what God said when he made Adam and Eve and therefore the beginning of all humanity. Then God said in verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, here's here's something to note. If you go back through and you read all of Genesis 1 and 2, you're going to find that God created in one singular way until he got to the creation of humanity. What did God do in order to create the rest of creation? Does anybody know? He spoke. Now, you need to pay attention because what, what happens here is that God changes the pattern of what he is doing. And instead of speaking something into existence, he stops, he fashions, he breathes life into. And there's something different about humanity than all the rest of creation. Humanity was unique from every other thing that was created, whether it be animals, whether it be the incredible scenery that you see. You know, if you love the outdoors and you love to go out into the woods, you love to go out and see, you know, trees and hills, you go to the mountains, uh, if you love that kind of stuff, it's easy to walk out and in a beautiful sunset on a clear day to say, God, wow, you're just, it's incredible what you have made. And yet God chose to make men and women differently than everything else. And nothing else was made be said in his image. Have you ever considered that you yourself are made in the image 
of God. You yourself are made different from everything else. Now, some of us believe that we're made in the image of our parents, right? Uh, I'm told that as I get older, I act more like my parents. It's not true. (laughs) However, in our family, Deidre does act more like hers. And we know that's true. Well, she would disagree with that. Some of you share not only physical characteristics of your parents, but you share habits of your parents. And incredibly, no matter how many times you said you wouldn't do it, you parent your children very similar to the ways that your parents parented you. Even when you said, I will never do that. I can't tell you how many times I've said, I will never do that when I have kids, and yet I do every one of them. We often can see ourselves and our parents, but if we go back and we understand what is the role of God in our lives and what is the role of our lives in the relationship with God, we begin to see that you are not created in the image of your parents. You may have adopted some of their behaviors. You may have adopted some of their physical characteristics, but you are made in the image of God himself. You're unique. You're different. When God chose to place Adam and Eve in the garden, he chose to do something different with them than with everything else. And he chose to create us like him. We read more in Genesis chapter 5. There are only three places in the Old Testament that talk about us being created in the image of God. It speaks much more in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's only two other places Both are in Genesis. Genesis 5 says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and he named them man when they were created. Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man. This is following the time of Noah, saying that Noah is going to begin to repopulate the earth and everything is going to be in fear of Noah and his family as they repopulate. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Now, the problem with a lot of theological studies in Scripture is that you and I like to study something to certainty. Just give me the basics of what I need to know that I know to be true and that I can have my bullet points and, and I just know that. They would be similar to having Cliff's Notes whenever you were growing up. I don't know if y'all even have Cliff Notes anymore. Now you have Google. I don't know if you even need Cliff Notes anymore. But that's what we had when I was growing up. If you didn't want to read the book and yet you still had to do a, a report on it, you got the Cliff Notes. We want that. Now, the problem with coming to definitive understandings of not only theology and doctrine, but of God in general, is that God does not often reveal himself in absolutes. It's why we often see God described as a mystery. We are often able to see parts of him, but we're not able to define him. And so when we begin to look at things like understanding what does it mean to be made in his image, Scripture really doesn't go into detail about what ways of his image are we made. It's unfortunate. When we look through these verses through Genesis in the Old Testament, there are two words that are used to describe likeness and image. Wherever you see the word image, it's the Hebrew word salem, and it means a shadow, a resemblance, or a reference to something greater. Now, this is important. Because some of us think of being made in the image of something as being an exact copy. And there are people who have believed they are exact copies of God. They have hoped that they would have the opportunity 
to be God in their own existence. And yet when we see the image, it's a resemblance or a reference of something greater. When we see the word likeness, it's the Hebrew word demuth, and it literally means a reproduction of something or someone else. It's a reproduction of something or someone else. And when Genesis 5 that we read about the genealogy of of Adam through Noah, whenever it talks about likeness, it also is using the word for image, a resemblance or a shadow of something. If we're going to boil this down into how do we start an understanding or a discussion, because there's so many attributes we could go through, is that you and I are simply a reflection of, Of the one true living God. You're a reflection of him. Now there are lots of ways in life that you and I can be reflections of others. I remember when I started working. uh, I I was the kind that would do. I, I would not only do what my job was. I would do everything else I was supposed to do. Uh, And then I would find other things I was had the opportunity to do. I I felt that whenever I worked, whatever I did was a reflection on the company in which I worked for that wrote my checks. And so I needed to conduct myself in a way that would reflect well on them. What you'll find is if you take that mindset into your jobs, you'll find that not only will you find more satisfaction in your job, you'll find that you often will get more raises and more promotions as well because you reflect your employer well. Now, I'm not my employer. I don't get the big checks that they get. However, I do reflect them. Now, interestingly enough, you and I still reflect others. You and I reflect people in our family. It's funny whenever I'm with my parents and especially my mother, because many of you know my mom and her descriptions can be very interesting at times. And depending on who she's talking to, she will describe me differently. (laughs) I'm a reflection on my family. You are a reflection of your family. So when you're out in public, especially when you're growing up, which is probably not fair, but it is the way that it is. When you're in public, people look at you and they judge your family by your behavior. Now, you all don't do that, do you? You're not sitting there trying to eat a quiet meal and a kid's going berserk. You don't judge. The parenting of someone else, do you? Of course not. We won't admit that. But we reflect others. Our friends, we often will choose our closest friends, not only based on do we reflect them, but how do they reflect me? And especially as you're growing and you're kind of learning, what does it mean to have relationships and friendships with other people who are going to be my core group of people that I surround myself with? You want to make sure that they're going to reflect you well and they're not embarrassing you everywhere you go. That's your mom and dad's responsibility, one in which we relish and love and enjoy, and we just think of great ways to do that all the time. But you find friends that will reflect you well. Now, it's hard to understand at the time, sometimes what it looks like to reflect the image of God. So here's what I want to do. I need a volunteer. And... Uh, so I've got, I've got four volunteers. They all have the last name. Same last name. All right. Leslie, and you're not allowed. 
All right. So nobody wants to volunteer at all besides the Murphys? Huh? If the Murphys want to do it, you're, you're getting into something that, that you don't want to do. No, no, I'm, I am really shocked. Huh? All right. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to bring up my nephew. Jackson, come on up. Now, Jackson and his mom, Deidre's sister, Laura, are here with us today. Come on up, buddy. Can I say hi to Jackson? problem with Jackson is I don't know how he's going to respond to any of this. All right, Jackson, so here's what I have. I have a $20 bill. All right? Would you like this $20 bill? You would like to have it. Okay. If I give you this $20 bill, what will you do with it? Save it? Save it? <laughs> All right. Will he do that? Will he save it? No. She's saying no. That's a lie. All right. Human nature number one. When you're on the stage with the pastor, you will say what you're supposed to say, not what you're really going to do. What will you do with this if you have it? it. What are you going to spend it on? Something I don't need. Something you don't need. All right. All right. You're not playing along with me here. All right. That's okay. That's okay. Now, this is a, a real $20 bill. All right? Now, here's the problem. I need to ha- have lunch today. <laughs> but I want you to have it. So here's what I'm going to do. I have made some copies of my $20 bill. Now, interestingly enough, if you try to put a $20 bill in a photocopier and you scan it, you may get a phone call from the Secret Service. Don't do that. So this is a facsimile that's similar but not the same. Would you, would you like to have this instead? Not as much. Okay, what if I gave you two of these? Because I have multiple copies. It looks almost exactly the same, except not really. Okay, what if I add another one? Okay, look. I've got six copies here. That's $120 to you. From me. Your uncle, your favorite uncle, right? Yeah, right. Okay. Which one do you want? Do you want the the $120 in copies, or do you want my... $20 $20 bill. All right. I'll give you my $20 bill. You can give that back to me later before you go home. All right. Give him a hand. Come up here. Now, the truth is, is that the copy, at least that started until my printer stopped and then went off, set an alarm off, is very close to the original. The copy is very similar to the original in which that image was made of. However, it is not the same, right? So as you and I begin to try to understand what does it mean to be in the image of something else, we recognize that that is just a facsimile. It is something that is similar. Similarly to all of the pictures that you have in your house, you may walk through and look at one of your pictures and say, this is incredible. That was a great moment. Many of our pictures, not only do they remind us of an event, they actually remind us of a feeling that we had when we were at that event. But yet that picture is not the event itself. So what happens is we surround ourselves with images but not necessarily what is the true object. Copy is not the original, but it reminds us of it, and it, more importantly, represents the original. 
See, one of the reasons it's important that when you're growing, and this is kind of a freebie for you guys, is you have the opportunity to represent your family well. Whenever you go out, and it's interesting how many cars cut in front of me or speed or drive dangerously with church stickers on the back. Have you noticed? Or the little Jesus fish? If you're going to drive recklessly, don't put those on your car. It's not a good representation. But when you are outside of here and people know that you attend Journey, your behavior reflects on all of the community of journey. We reflect that which we are a part of. Now, if we were to be really honest about the story of creation and the story of God creating man, at the point that we have read so far, what we have discovered is God has created. And at this time, we were at the best place in, the, in life than we ever would be. Walking with God, dominion over everything. And if you want to read a little he- farther ahead in the fall, you'll find that work and hardship comes after the fall, which we're going to talk a little bit more about next week. So at this point, Adam and Eve have things pretty good. Everything is just great. Everything is wonderful. They walk with God. They literally see God and talk with God just like you and I would walk and talk with each other. It is an incredible opportunity. But interestingly enough, part of the image of God is that God allowed righteousness to be lost. God allowed righteousness... To be lost because humanity was created righteous before God. Now the question is, is how do we reflect this God who's willing to let righteousness be lost among his people? Most of the time, just like in a picture of a $20 bill or a picture of uh, you know, a friend or, or whatever, we think of similarities or in the image of, we think of physical likeness. We think of the ability for two things to look alike. Similarly to the fact that I mirror very closely Hugh Jackman. I've never had anybody tell me that, but I know it to be true. And so, yeah. I got to look again. Y'all start laughing. I got to look. I don't know what's going to happen in this room. Y'all don't agree. Now I'm hurt. All right. But we think about being in the image of something as being in the physical likeness. So we often think about God. And the reason that some of you have pictures of of God or, or Jesus in your house that look like your ethnicity is because when we think of reminding ourselves of the image of something, we think that we are going to physically look like them. And so there are people that believe that God actually looks like a person, even though we know that God in the form of Jesus did. That's not what we read anywhere else in Scripture, that God reflects us in our physical likeness. Instead, there's something deeper to the characteristic of who we are that follows after Him. So human nature is that you and I, we may not be able to physically represent God, but yet many of our characteristics do, the characteristic to reason, the ability to love. To give grace in a moment where a person feels condemned. To have mercy is to reflect the image of God. And even so, while God has dominion over all things, God has given us dominion over a portion of creation. 
How do we reflect this God? Why does God allow righteousness to be lost? Because I also believe that not only does we, do we reflect God in those characteristics, God also allows us to reflect his ability to choose. We read about the fall in Genesis chapter 3, and it goes like this. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, of course, it was the woman. No, I'm just kidding. He said to the woman, You understand when we read these stories, man and woman means humanity, right? The word man itself, especially when it's capitalized, is the inclusion of all that have been, all people who have been created. And we can easily narrow down and focus on genders and things like that. But God himself created man in one image. Some of the things we used to separate ourselves, those were not intended by God. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will what? And you know, it's the original temptation. The original temptation is that we would be like God, not in the ways that we already are, but in the ways that only God can be God. You and I are going to struggle with this temptation, whether there's a serpent there or not. We still attempt to be the king of our own universe. We still try to be the ruler of our own lives. We still try to direct where we're going to go. When God is the one who is in control, God is the one who has dominion, and God is the one whose image we reflect, but we are not an exact copy. Serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Let me ask just a question that a lot of people ask. We don't often ask it in church. But why would God put that tree in the garden? Have you ever asked that question? What would it be like in the world today if God had simply chosen not to put that tree there? Now, God created us. God created us with all of the things that make us who we are, and yet he put something there and said, do not eat from it and another tree. You can have anything you want, but you cannot have these two trees. Why would he do that? There are some that believe God is not truly a loving God because he put the tree in the garden. But why would God do that? Now, as we read throughout the Old Testament, one of the things that you'll find over and over and over is a discussion that God has with his chosen people. In fact, much of the Old Testament is a conversation that God is having with the Hebrews and then the Israelites and then the promise of the Messiah that would come for all people. Because God has demonstrated that part of his character, a part of character I believe that he gave us, is the ability to choose in life. However, you cannot truly be a person with a choice unless there are what? Choices. Options. If there are no options, then you're good. You you don't have any choices to make. 
Interestingly, when you get together with your friends and you all try to figure out where you're going to eat, the reason that you struggle is because we have discovered that if you have more than two choices, your anxiety level begins to rise. We like two choices, one or two. Now, crazy enough, while some of you are not Apple fans, that is the underlying belief of the Apple Corporation. Did you know that? They recognize that if you have too many choices in which to choose from, your anxiety about your purchase will go up and you may choose not to buy or you may have an unfavorable emotional response to their product which would keep you from buying from them in the future. So in other words, Apple users are closer to God. They've tapped into this psychological thing that has been built into us that while we relish the choice, we don't like to have too many of them. But if God had not put the tree in the garden, would they ever have had a choice? Because one of the greatest characteristics that we read about God, not only is it a characteristic, it is the thing in which God is defined by, and that is that God is love and he has chosen to love us. Now, you live in a nation in which you don't have to worry when it comes time to find a spouse. Uh, your parents are not trying. Well, some of your parents are trying to hook you up. But most of us get to choose for ourselves who we're going to date and who we're going to marry. Not so much in other parts of the world, but we get that opportunity. You get to choose who you love. There are some places that you don't get to choose who you love. That choice is made for you, but you have the choice whether you will love that person now that you are married to this person. It is always greater when you get to choose who you love, right? God chose to love us. We reflect his image, and yet he put us in in the garden and was willing to let righteousness be lost because ultimately not only did God choose us, he wanted us to have the opportunity to choose him or not. Now, does that make God less loving? Because that also opened up a door to some very terrible things that have really clouded the creation since then. Does God really love us if he gives us the opportunity to have to leave the garden and to suffer in this world? And yet we, you and I, mirror, we reflect, we're a shadow of the image of our creator. And he chose for you and I to be able to truly choose. God chose us. He gave us the choice to choose him. Now, if we jump into the New Testament, and I'm going to wrap up here in just a minute, but if we jump into the New Testament, we're going to find that we move away from the idea of image and likeness, and almost exclusively the image of God is understood as a person, not as a concept. This is the problem of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a concept. But yet when we look in the New Testament, we find that there is a person. Can you guess who that person is? Anybody? Jesus. Somebody who said that. In the New Testament, almost consistently, when it talks about the image of God, it's talking about Jesus 
not some other concept. Colossians 1.15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and everything He might be preeminent. For in Him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is the image of the invisible God. So as we read through, we begin to understand human nature. We begin to understand that Jesus not only is God, but he demonstrates to you and I what it looks like to reflect him in this world. If you want a picture of what does it look like to reflect Jesus, you look no further than the teachings about how he lived his life. He was a reflection of the image of God. He was God And yet he showed us what it looked like. In John chapter 14, it says, Philip said to him, Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And yet through all of this, While Jesus was the embodiment of God and he was the image of God throughout the New Testament, you have been also created with his image. Yet there is one central truth that we all must accept, and that is that you cannot become God. You cannot become God. We've got to understand that there's a difference in reflecting him and a difference in being him. You and I will not reach a place of enlightenment in which we are able to say, I have no need of God because I am as good as he is. It will not happen. Even as followers of him, whenever we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us and it adjusts our behavior and it adjusts the ways that we live our lives, we cannot be him. 1 Corinthians 13, it says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. The problem with reflecting God in a broken world is that you and I cannot see things as they really are. We see glimpses, pieces. It's the reason that people can live their whole lives, get to the end of their lives, and then look back and go, Oh, if I had just realized... Things would have been different. Some of you may not be very old and you've already done that. If I had just realized at this point in my life, things would have been different. Because you and I cannot see things as they wholly are. We can only see pieces until we're with God in heaven. Until that time, you and I reflect him. One of the wonderful things about the teachings of the doctrine of man is simply this. That not only has God chosen to love you, but God has chosen to adopt you into his family. He chose you. He created you in his image. We have the opportunity to bear his image in a world just like we bear the image of our employers while we're at work or our family while we're out or the community in which we worship when we're with others. 
we bear his image for those that are around us. Ephesians 1 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Not only is he adopting us into our family, but no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, God is restoring his image in your lives when you're following Christ. Now, a lot of you, I know some of your stories and all your stories. I know some of you would change big parts of your story if you could. You know, no matter what your story looks like, God wants to work to restore you to the image in which he originally created you. And there's nothing you can do to overcome that. There's nothing you can do to be so difficult that God can't restore you. See, one of the beautiful truths about the doctrine of man is we have great capacity for terrible things, but we have great capacity for wonderful things too. We look at what's going on around the world and as we've been talking about the persecution in the church, while we don't really experience that here, there are people experiencing that to great degrees around the world. This past Christmas, you all were so generous and gave over and above what we thought was a huge goal in order to serve people in our community. And if you'll remember, right now there are professors on the ground in a place in the world that we can't discuss that are sharing not only what it means to know Jesus, but how to teach others to follow him. A seminary in a closed country is on the ground because of you guys and your generosity. That's happening around the world. There's great opportunity for people to do terrible, evil things, but there is great opportunity for people to do incredible, wonderful things as well. God is restoring his image in our lives when we know Christ. 2 Corinthians 3 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being... What's the word? Say that again. See, on the days that you believe that you are a lost cause, this needs to be your verse. Because you are being transformed. God is choosing to transform what's going on in your life. If you feel like, I'm never going to get this, God is transforming. You may not be transformed yet, but God is transforming you. You're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God wants to restore you to the image that we had before if we choose Him. So this is what I want to leave you with. How do we reflect the image of God? How are we doing that now? One of the reasons we're doing these doctrinal series is because it's important that we understand what God has said in his word to us. It's the way he reveals himself. And not only has God revealed himself in his word, he continues to reveal himself to those who are seeking him. As he reveals himself, are you reflecting the image of the one in which you're learning about? When you're out in public, do people look at you and go, there's something going on with them? 
Are we reflecting the image of God? Are they seeing in us compassion and love? Are they seeing forgiveness from us or condemnation? Are we giving them a wave and a smile when they cut us off or some other gesture? How are we reflecting God around us? What about how we're spending our time, how we're spending our resources? Do we reflect the image of God in our lives in those things? How about at home when no one's home in private when no one's watching? Do we reflect the image of God that he has built within us, he created us, that he's transforming us to be restored again? I'm going to leave you with one thing. If you're taking notes, I'll leave you with this. To have been formed in the likeness of the one true God, and I'll leave you with a question. How will you reflect him? Pray with me. Father, God, I thank you for Incredible grace you've given to us, a fallen, broken people. Who, if we're honest, our first thought when we get up in the morning is not how we will reflect you. But we're focused on our own needs and desires, our own struggles and decisions. But yet you still chose us and you still loved us. Father, I pray that in this room that we would allow you to transform us through your Holy Spirit. Pray for those in the room that are certain that God has given up on them, that there's nothing worth saving, nothing worth redeeming, to know that God has chosen to love us all. We're all equal on an equal playing field before you, and you have chosen to redeem us through Christ. Father, help us as we go forward as a community, as we go forward as families and as people. Help us to reflect you well so that others will know you just as we do. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.